When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the test uh, review for your midterm. That's on Friday, March 5th. Um, really quick, just about the test. Remember, your review has 36 questions. There are 50 questions on the test. Uh, so some of the questions are going to be those stimulus-based where, hey, here's a, um, here's a political cartoon, here's a passage or whatever. Answer these three questions. Okay, and just also remember that they're going to be split up and randomize so you, you, know, you might see two questions about this political cartoon don't get tripped up and they go oh, it's the same question because they're going to be different and uh so just uh, be aware of that when you're taking the test also you know you might see three questions on the the, the passage uh, a classmate might only see one it just depends upon the randomization randomization uh, of your test all right take it on friday uh at least i would encourage you to so you don't have to worry about it over the weekend if you don't that's fine you can take it over the weekend uh, I'll put an NTI in on Monday morning. All right. So Monday morning is when the NTI will go in. Uh, obviously, I'll replace the, the test grade. I take tests throughout the semester. So uh, I do do that. Um, and don't forget to work. Get your makeup work done. March 16th is when I close the drop boxes. All right, guys, let's go through the review. Uh, I'm going to try and delineate and um, I'll put on there. Hey, I did unit one from this this time frame to this time frame and so on and so forth. So you can fast forward if you want to. OK, so uh, I'm going to start unit one at the 130 mark. All right. So unit one. Uh, all right. So Jefferson, the Declaration of Independence and the Enlightened Ideas. You've seen this question or these set of questions before. Uh, on I think, unit one test. So if you know, if you want to go back and look at that, uh, I think you should have access to your scores and your, your test from unit one. So you can go back and look. Uh, but just remember, you know, Jefferson is going to, to be the main author of the Declaration of Independence. He's going to take ideas from the enlightened thinkers that we talked about. Remember, we talked about John Locke, um, Baron Montesquieu, Thomas Hobbes and those guys. Uh, his big thing that he's going to take from the Enlightenment is the, those natural rights. Uh, and every person is, is born with those natural rights, life, liberty, and Jefferson says the pursuit of happiness. So um, that is the, the big deal from there. Once again, there's going to be a passage. There's going to be multiple questions there. All right, James Madison and Fed 51. Fed 51, um, you did a discussion. So I think you should have access to your discussion stuff. I, I know it's locked, but I think you should be able to still look. Maybe I, I hope uh, if not, the documents are in there in the content section. Uh, anyways, this whole thing, remember, the Federalist Papers were trying to convince people that this big, strong central government is the way to go because we had come from this weak government with the Articles of Confederation. So people were a little bit, scared, uh, people a little bit nervous, scared. Uh, and the argument was, well, hey, this government's going to be too powerful. One person, one group's going to take all the power, and they're going to rule us like a king. And that, that's the fear. And that, you know, it was a valid fear back then because we had just come from that. Uh, and so he, he writes in Fed 51 about checks and balances, about the separation of powers, and how uh, these things are going to keep one person, one group from acquiring all that power. They're going to be kept in their land. They're going to be kept in their roles of writing laws enforcing laws and judging the laws, all right? So 
uh, that's what Fed 51 was. And I think it's another passage. The first few questions are in passages. All right, ways the Constitution can change. So they can be formal or, in, uh, or formal. The formal way is Article 5, the amendment process, which I'll go over in number 12. Uh, the informal ways, you know, the main ways through Supreme Court decisions. And I, I gave the example in class of the Obergefell versus Hodges decision, same-sex marriages. You know, there was no law written uh, about that after the decision was made in 2014 or 15, whenever that was. Um, instead, just you know, states just did it. All right. Uh, and so that's an informal way of changing the Constitution. So here's something that's happened. In this case, you know, people, uh, not people, but I guess, I guess people, but states uh, and counties and places like that were not honoring marriages and were not allowing same sex couples to, to get married uh, in their states. Uh, and so the Supreme Court ruled that, hey, a marriage is a marriage, basically. All right. And anybody can do that. Uh, they didn't write a law. It's just, OK, the Supreme Court made their decision. We're going to start on, we're going to start honoring those those marriages. Um, so just an informal way of changing the the uh, Constitution. All right. Constitutional Convention compromises. There was three. There's the Great Compromise, which combined the Virginia and New Jersey plans and created a two house legislature. All right. The three fifths compromise, which is going to uh, settle the debate about the slave population and, and count three fifths of that population. And then the commerce compromise. Don't get confused with the commerce clause, the commerce compromise, commerce compromise, Connecticut compromise uh, is going to be about the slave trade. And the federal government is going to stay out of and not regulate the slave trade uh, until 1808. Uh, rights every human has a right to. That is the natural rights. That's life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Pretty simple question there. It's a pretty low level question to be honest with you. Federalists versus the anti-federalists. Remember, the federalists were for the big, strong national government, big, strong central government. The anti-federalists were more for, hey, let's let the states have their powers. Um, that was the, the big thing. This question is going to be one of those comparison questions where, hey, here's the federalists, here's the anti-federalists. Let's find stuff that's correct about all of them, all right, or about both of them in the one line. So federalists were for a, a stronger central government. Um, they tended to be kind of the the, the more wealthy uh, anti-federalists were for the strong state governments, weak central government, and they tended to be for the the, the farmers and people like that. Uh, republic versus democracy. Remember, we are a republic, and that is just, you know, we're a constitutional republic where we, as the people, constituents, we have the power, and we have it through our elected officials, but we have the power, okay? Uh, and then democracy is just kind of the way we pick our uh, pick our representatives. Separation of powers. What is each branch responsible for? This is another lo really low-level question. So Congress writes the laws, the executive or president uh, enforces the laws, and then the judicial branch judges the laws. So pretty pretty simple there. All right, the First Amendment freedoms, I give examples from court cases. So uh, in one of the classes, I, I narrowed it down. I'm, I'm probably not going to ask you a question on a similar petition. Uh, so you know, we're going to keep it to uh, speech, religion, and press. And you know, just looking at the review, you can probably narrow it down a little bit more uh, as there is a freedom of religion question with Wisconsin versus Yoder and Engel versus Vitale. So then we're left with the press and um, what you call it, uh, speech. So uh, a couple of speech things. Um, you know, obviously, you have the right to say, for the most part, what you want. Um, symbolic speech is is a thing. Remember, that's the burning of the flag, Texas versus Johnson, U.S. versus Eichmann. Um, then we get to the freedom of press. Uh, press can write what they want to for the most part. Uh, I did start to read an article, but then I got sidetracked uh, about uh, some um, about a, a journalist who's who's going on trial 
for our coverage of the the, the, the 2020 uh, riots and, and protests and that sort of stuff. Um, I need to finish the articles, and I shouldn't even be talking about it right now because I'm, I'm getting sidetracked here. Uh, anyway, let's let's move forward. Um, so, anyways, those First Amendment freedoms of speech, press, religion. Uh, the religion, you've got some cases we're going to talk about in a minute, and then the speech, you know, Texas versus Johnson, U.S. versus Eichmann. Uh, probably not going to get into you know um, Shank versus the U.S. and things like that. So. Um, there's that. Uh, Ten Articles of Confederation as ratification. Uh, so first period, uh, I, I, I had not had a chance to look at the test yet. I have looked at the test, and this is about what it took to get the signed. That is unanimous, uh, unanimous signatures from the states. So all 13 states had to sign it. So that's that question. Structure of the government under the Articles. Remember, it was weak. It was purposely weak, so the states could have power. Uh, so there's no president, there's no federal courts, there's no courts. It's just each state has their own court system. And then there is a weak, weak, weak Congress. All right. The amendment process. Remember, there's two ways to propose an amendment. And then there's two ways to sign it. So proposal, uh, two thirds of Congress has to vote yes on a potential amendment. So I'm a House member. I submit Amendment 28 or it's not Amendment 28 yet, but I, uh, I submit a proposal for an amendment. Two-thirds of Congress votes on it. It's going to go forward, okay? Or if we had a national convention and two-thirds of the national convention people said yes to this proposal, then it would move forward, okay? So there it's proposed. The next step is for it to go to the states. And remember, three-fourths of the states have to do it. So if once it's proposed, once it's been voted on by Congress, it then goes to the states. If 38 states, three-fourths of the states say yes, it's going to be enacted and it will become the 28th Amendment. Okay. Or we could call state legislation, I mean, uh, state conventions. Once again, we don't do the conventions because we've already got Congress up in D.C. in place. We've already got state legislatures in place. So why should we go to this other step and call these conventions? Uh, federal grants. Remember, there are two types of grants. There are block grants and there are categorical grants. Uh, categorical grants, those are the ones with the strings attached. Remember, hey, if you don't do this, we're not going to give you this money. And we use the drinking age and road money as a good example of that. Okay. And then the block grants, remember, those are where there's a little more freedom. So here's the money. You spend how you want to states. Now, it can be designated to a specific program. So don't think it's just free, free money. But like the, the welfare program is a block grant. Here's the money. States, you run the program how you want to. You don't want the answer to us. Okay, so categorical and uh, block. U.S. versus Lopez in an older case that had the same constitutional principle. So U.S. versus Lopez uh, deals with the the Commerce Clause, and and just real quick, Lopez brought a gun to school, violated the Gun Free School Zone Act. He was caught and charged by the state. The federal government comes in and is going to charge him. This is why it's U.S. versus Lopez. Lopez is going to challenge the, the federal government, say you don't have the right to be here. The Commerce Clause does not give you the right to to come in and enforce this law. The Supreme Court agreed with them. That high schools have nothing to do with interstate commerce. So federal government, you're overstepping your bounds here. All right. The older case, I, I said one in, in class for first and second, and that's U.S. versus Morrison. And then third period, I updated it to U.S. versus Morrison and Gibbons versus Ogden. So U.S. versus Morrison, this was the Virginia Tech uh, rape case where two Virginia Tech players attacked the young lady, um, were kicked out, then were allowed back in. All right. And they were then charged with the Violence Against Women Act. And that's why it's U.S. versus 
Morrison because they said, hey, you can't do that. You don't have the right, and the Supreme Court wants to get agreed with them. The other case is Gibbons versus Ogden. This is the one that set up the ability for the Supreme Court, I mean, uh, for the for Congress to, to use the Commerce Clause. Uh, that's where the two guys, Gibbons and Ogden, got a charter from their state to operate on the Hudson River. And when they challenged each other, basically, the Supreme Court can say, well, you know what? Both those are invalid. Only the federal government can do that. Only Congress can do that. Uh, let's see. Article six of the I'm making sure I'm saying my Roman numerals are weak and I should have looked at this earlier. Uh, let me see. Article, I'm pretty sure it's Article six, but it could be Article four as well. Um, yeah, it's Article six. Um, this is going to be uh, the supremacy clause. Okay. So, sorry, I just want to make sure I was saying it right. Uh, and was it didn't even talk about the fourth and the fourth one. Um, and sorry to, to demonstrate my lack of Roman numeral skills there. Uh, all right. So, anyways, Article six is just the supremacy clause. So, who's going to who's the supreme law of the land? Well, the Constitution, the federal government. All right. Uh, full faith and credit, privileges and immunities and extradition. This is in the Constitution. This is state to state stuff. So full faith and credit uh, is just that the states are going to honor each other's stuff. All right. And I gave you the example of, of me. I got married in Florida to my first wife down there, moved up here with her to Georgia. I didn't have to get remarried to her. It was just, hey, you're married. OK. Uh, then I got divorced from her up here. All right. I didn't have to go to Florida to do anything. It was just, oh, you're divorced and it's good for everyone. OK. So they're going to honor court decisions like that, contracts like that, things like that. Privileges and immunities, uh, just all the rights. You're not going to go to a different state and be treated any differently and have different rules and regulations and things like that. OK, uh, everything's going to apply to citizens from state to state. And I use the example of driver's licenses. You don't have to get a new one when you go to a new state unless you move there permanently. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah you do. But if you just visit, it's not a requirement. OK, so it's not a requirement if you do. And then extradition is going to be where uh, the states will work out if you've done something wrong in two states. All right. So if you have done something wrong in Georgia and you run to Tennessee or Alabama and you get caught there, they'll send you back. All right. And then federal mandates. Remember, those are those requirements that the, the federal government sometimes gives. Uh, hey, states, you're going to do this. All right. And sometimes they're funded, sometimes they're underfunded, but they're going to make you do them. OK. Uh, all right. So that is unit one. So unit two is going to be at the 14 minute mark. And I'm just saying this out loud for myself, I guess, really. All right. Citizens United versus FEC is the first one. Um, and actually, this is, I think, unit three. Uh, now that I look at it. Yeah, this is the unit three stuff. Uh, I did it out of order because I went from most to least. Unit one has the most stuff. Unit three has the second most. And then unit two has the least amount. So uh, that's why it's a little bit weird. All right. So unit three uh, at 1430. We'll see because I don't want supposed to be talking babble and ramble. Uh, all right. Citizens United versus the FEC. Remember, the FEC is the Federal Election Commission, and they are in charge of the uh, you know, election laws and watching the money and all those sorts of things. All right. Citizens United is a interest group uh, and they were taking money from businesses and corporations and, and just groups like that. OK. And then they made a movie about Hillary Clinton, remember, and uh, they're going to get shut down because the FEC is going to say they violate the McCain-Feingold Act. Well, the Bipartisan Reform Act, um, when they're taking money from the, the the businesses, right? And that's why it's going to go to court. Uh, and the Supreme Court is going to rule in favor of Citizens United. They're going to rule in favor of the businesses. They're going to rule in favor of corporations. And they're going to say, hey, these corporations have free speech. 
and the money they donate is tied to free speech. So they've tied political donations to free speech now. And so they can give what they want to. Okay. Uh, I think there's a political cartoon with this one. Social media and campaigns. Uh, we talked about this, how it's becoming a huger, larger, I don't think huger is a word, but it's becoming a, a bigger part of the, uh, the campaigns. Almost every politician at this point has a Twitter, has an Instagram, has all those different social media outlets. Uh, challengers are going to have them because it's a way to talk directly to us. Okay, as constituents uh, and as voters. So social media is going to be a huge part of moving forward. And I just saw you know, a hurl on radio that Facebook and some other people are uh, going to start allowing political ads again. They're going to they're going to revamp how they do it, though. So that'll be interesting to follow uh, how interest groups gain influence. Remember, it's mainly through money. OK, they're going to give lots of money to uh, campaigns. And so that's one way. Uh, they can also lobby. You know, we, we, we talked about that a great deal where they can uh, they hire people, hire individuals to, to go and try and convince congressmen to vote certain ways. Alrighty. Uh, and then electioneering, that's a part of or a piece of the, the, the campaigning where they're trying to get their person elected uh, through donations. But they'll also, because they're limited to how much they can donate, uh, they will also now make commercials. You know, we saw some of those things. We saw the grassroots stuff. Um, and so that is how they will uh, try to influence Congress. Uh, political parties versus interest groups. This is another side-by-side -side question. Uh, for me, the big thing to remember is the political parties want to run the government. <clears throat> they want to be in power. They want to make every decision. Interest groups really only care about their one thing, and they want to affect the government to that end. So let's get Congress. And let's get congressmen that are able to mess with bills and laws that affect us. We don't care about that other stuff. Taxes, eh. Those other laws, domestic policy, foreign policy, eh, we don't care. We're just concerned about our one issue, right? Uh, and, and, you know, interest groups are really, they're specialized versus political parties, which are more kind of generalized. They, they have to be, uh, they have to, to know everything, okay? Roles of the political parties, where they do a couple things. Uh, they educate us as, as to the in the public. You know, they let us know about our about the politicians that are running. They let us know about um, elections and, and things like that. So that's one of the big things, whether we realize it or not. Um, and you know, we got overloaded this past election cycle. Uh, at least I did. Maybe you were like, oh, I love it all. Uh, I hated it. Okay, uh, but if you know someone was to had moved to Georgia and not know, hey, there's a runoff, they would have known because of the, the political ads and things like that. Okay. Uh, remember, they also help with campaigns. They're going to fund campaigns. They're going to run commercials and ads and all that sort of stuff. They're going to recruit candidates. They're going to watch uh, elections to see uh, who's weak and who can they run and, and things like that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Iron triangles. Remember, I said it's going to show up in all kinds of places. Well, here it is again. Iron triangles. Um, on your midterm. And just remember, this is a relationship between interest groups, the uh, bureaucratic agencies, and the committees that affect them. So, you know, we gave the example in the PowerPoint that we looked at of, uh, we gave two. So, the tobacco industry as an interest group, the uh, subcommittee on tobacco, and then the uh, agriculture, the, the Department of Agriculture. And then we gave the energy. Energy group, uh, or no, not energy. We gave uh, defense, 
contractors, like Boeing and stuff like that, um, the Committee on Arms, Arms, Arms Services, and then the, you know, the, basically the, uh, I'm struggling right now. Look at the time, and I'm going to go quick. And I, I'm, I'm drawing like so. We, the defense contractors, they were the interest group, so Boeing, all those guys. The Department of Defense uh, was the bureaucratic agency, and the committee on, on armed forces. Sorry, I, I look at the clock and I get distracted, and I start struggling. All right, media, media, and citizens demand for information. Just we want to know stuff, and we have. Um, this demand, this this thirst for knowledge sometimes has created the you know, 24-hour news cycle, really, all right? Uh, perspective, retrospective voting, and rational choice, all right? So rational choice, this is where you're going to make a decision at the, the voting booth, uh, what's best for you, okay? So, hey, this is what I think is going to be best, and this is the person that I think is going to help me the best. Uh, retrospective is looking in the past and thinking, this person has voted this way, and I like that, so I'll vote for them. And their perspective is trying to kind of predict the future. What are they going to do? All right, so perspective and rational choice kind of go together to an extent because you're thinking, hey, this person has done this. This is what's going to be best for me. I think they're going to vote like that. So they're kind of tied together. Uh, 24th Amendment and its effects. Uh, remember, that was the poll tax or get, get rid of the poll tax, and that's going to um, make it, to where more people can vote because now there's no there when they drop a barrier more people can go vote, vote right all right uh all right i think that is unit no there's one more all right so one more for unit three and then we'll get in unit two why is there more turnout in presidential election than in midterms so remember we have two-year cycles for elections all right and every four years is a presidential and people just place more importance on the president the, the presidency to most people uh, to the general public is just the most important thing. And so they are going to go out to vote for the president. When the midterms roll around, when it's just Congress, there's less people because they don't put as much importance on it. Okay. Uh, all right. So I'm going to pick up unit two at the 2145 mark. All right, guys. So last little bit here, uh, democratic ideologies, Republican ideologies. Remember the Democrats want to have more involvement in the business sector. They want to have more regulations, more taxes, uh, on them, okay? So more government involvement there, bigger government there. Less government involvement, though, when it comes to talking about our decisions. So what we personally, our personal choices should be left to us. Republicans are going to be the opposite. They're going to want to have less involvement in the business sector, let them do their thing, and that's their big deal, okay? And then more say-so over our individual choices and individual decisions. Balance of public safety and civil liberties. All right. So once again, this is uh, a question that they have to, the government has to ask themselves all the time. You know, at what point are we taking away too much civil liberty and trying to, to keep people safe? You know, and I, I, I talked to, about the mask mandate a little bit. You know, there's not really a mask mandate in some places. There's no federal mask mandate. Okay, and so the federal government has had to, to, to you know, keep them safe while also get people to wear masks and things like that. How far can we go? How, do we make a mandate? Do we make it a law uh, punishable by fine, imprisonment, whatever it might be? Um, you know, the vaccine could come to that. I don't think it will, but you know, do we make people get the vaccine? Can we force people to get the vaccine? Um, they got away public safety versus our civil liberties, and, the, and we have rights. They can't take away some of these rights, they can't take away those first 10 minutes. 
uh, and the rights that come with that. So where's that balance at? Libertarians, remember that is a, a third party group. They want to have hands off government. The government would not be involved uh, in many of your day to day decisions. You would get to do that. Why should the government tell you uh, you can do this? Why should the government tell you you can do that? All righty. Uh, conservatives versus liberals. It's a side by side thing. Uh, it, it, it's you know, conservatives are Republicans, liberals are Democrats, and the, the, the ideologies are, are the same as what we just said with the, the Democrats and the Republicans for the most part. Uh, conservatives are going to be more resistant to change. They're okay with the traditional values and the traditional way of doing things versus liberals, which are going to be more progressive. Hey, let's make changes. Let's change the system. Let's get out of this that we the way we used to do it and let's do it this way and make you know just uh, a lot of changes all right uh wisconsin versus yoder and Ingle versus vital this is first amendment stuff and freedom of religion stuff so wisconsin versus yoder is free exercise Ingle versus vital is establishment clause uh free exercise says you can worship how you want to all right in the wisconsin versus yoder case uh the wisconsin law is going to be deemed to violate the amish's free exercise uh, amish wanted to take their kids out of school uh, at eighth, uh, after eighth grade, okay, Wisconsin lost the tenth grade, so that's that's the the problem. And they go to the courts, they go to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court's going to rule in favor of Yoder. It's going to rule in favor of the Amish and say yes, the Wisconsin law violates their free exercise clause. All right. Then we go to Engel versus Vital. This is the establishment clause. The establishment clause says that the the government, whether it's national or uh, state and local, will not create a state-sponsored religion. Alrighty. Uh, they also say they won't make rules that favor one religion over the other. Uh, anyways, there was prayer in school happening, and the argument was that's a that's a government entity. They're they're funded by the government. They cannot make kids pray in school, and the, it violates the establishment clause. So that's the that's what the Supreme Court ruled on as well. It violates the, the separation of church and state, and so you have to keep those separate. Okay. Uh, so Wisconsin versus Yoder's free exercise. Ingle versus Vital is establishment clause. All right, political socialization. This is usually typically a pretty simple concept for most people. It's where you get your political values, your political ideas, where you become a conservative, where you become a liberal from. And the number one answer is always your family. But you know, there's other places as well. Uh, school, you know, uh, could 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 uh, affect you in your beliefs. Um, you know, maybe this class is. I, I work hard. Hopefully, I, I don't sway you one way or the other, those of you that listen, um, you know, but I, I don't want to ever make you think that, you know, oh, this is the only way to believe or something like that. So, but some schools do that, right? Uh, or maybe you're just, hopefully, maybe you're forming some opinions on your own. You know, you're listening to what we're talking about um, and, you know, it's it's resonating and you're saying, you know, I like that, I like that, I like that idea or, or whatever it might be. So that could be one place, your friends, uh, the friend group you're around could affect that. Um, you know, religion could, uh, the media, so all kinds of places can can help political, politically socialize you. Public opinion polls, uh, that is us, right? Uh, and our poll polling. Remember, you know, polls are are small amounts of people. You know, just a couple thousand. Um, we want to look at remembering, you know, the the sampling error. Uh, if that's a small number, that's good. If it's a big number, it's not. Who was who was polled you know if we want to get a certain answer like i can go talk to a certain group of people and i can get the answers that i want you know what i mean so we want to be sure that there's a wide variety of people and things like that so 
couple things there that go into public opinion polls. Told you I'm going to take the exit poll question out, so I'm going to be doing that. I'm not sure what I'll replace it with. It will not be a difficult question, I promise you, or I might just not even replace it. And then finally, the Articles of Confederation versus Constitution. I think I needed an extra question, to be honest with you, uh, when I did this thing. And so that's why this one from Unit 1 shows up way down at the bottom here. Uh, but Articles of Confederation versus Constitution is a side-by-side -side comparison. So the Constitution did this, it solved the, this Articles of Confederation problem. It goes to the weaknesses. So, hey, there was no president. Constitution created a president. All right, so things like that. All right, guys, um, as always, let me know if you have questions or concerns uh, about the test. Uh, I'll be in the Zoom during class on uh, Friday if you need me. Uh, I don't really anticipate you needing me or having any questions. Uh, take the test Friday, take it Saturday, take it Sunday. I'll put an NTIN on Monday. Guys, I uh, hope you all do well. I hope everything's going well. Uh, seriously, if I can do anything for you, please let me know. Uh, have a great weekend. Nothing's due, and I will see you all on Monday. All right, guys, take care. Bye-bye.